Hey there, welcome to the Stormwater World Podcast. After 10 years in the stormwater industry, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of all there is to learn. I believe there are a lot of people just like me who are curious, but we're all just so busy. So I'm going to ask the questions so we can get the answers together. My name is Ty Garman, and I'm your host. Join me as we learn about what is happening in the stormwater world. Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited to have a friend of mine, another yet another friend of mine here on the podcast today, and we have got a lot to talk about. So we are gonna we're gonna talk about all the things stormwater construction. We're gonna throw in some vinyl chloride versus sediment, and then we're gonna wrap it all up and make it personal to you. But before we do all that, I need to introduce uh, our guest today, Mr. Luke Owen is president and the principal consultant and training provider of the MPDS Stormwater Training Institute. And he's been doing that since 2005. He has authored over 130 monthly newsletters received by over 20,000 stormwater professionals across America and other countries. After being honorably discharged as a Sergeant E-5 from the United States Marine Corps, Luke attended Colorado Mesa University and graduated with honors in 1985 with a Bachelor of Science degree in geology. Today, he is a registered professional geologist in California and Georgia and has provided over 30 years of environmental, industrial wastewater and stormwater training, consulting uh, across the country and MPDS expert witness legal services in Georgia. Luke, we're getting old, sir. Luke is a member of the International Erosion Control Association, Southeast Stormwater Association, and Georgia Association of Water Professionals, and served on the National Environmental Steering Committee for the Associated General Contractors of America. He, is all, he also serves as a stakeholder for the reissuance of Georgia's MPDS Construction General Permit and is a selected erosion and sediment control training pro- provider for the AGC of America, National Home Builders Association, and is a trusted stormwater training provider for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Army Corps of Engineers, numerous state environmental protection departments, as well as scores of MS-4 Phase 1 and Phase 2 municipalities, departments of transportation, military bases, educational institutions, and thousands of land developers and construction contractors across the nation. And thankfully for me, I just know him as Luke. Luke, welcome, welcome to the pod, sir. Please feel free to correct anything I may have, I may have messed up in that. How are you today? Welcome, well, welcome. Just you all that, you know. I, I, hey, I, I, I asked for it. You put it. So we're going to give the folks your credentials, my friend. You know, if if it's to be known, I, I feel like you definitely know it. So, uh, how are you? And uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, welcome, welcome on the pod. I'm glad to be here, Ty. Thank you. Hey, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. Um, right off the bat, you know, I, I don't, I, you know what? I'll let you, I'll let you pick. Right, like we've got some some talking points. I mentioned them just a second ago. Where where would you like to start? Where would you like to start? Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many things, but uh, you know, um, when you first asked me to to uh, to be on the podcast, I thought, well, you know, what I really want to get the word. I'm always out there uh, trying to get the word out there about. Uh, water quality. And I think, you know, what the missing link bet- between Americans today in particular, and I, I, you know, a lot of the European countries and whatnot, because we do have readily available water, drinking water, you know, that kind of thing. We can go down and fish. I live on Lake Lanier. It's easy to fish. I, I you know, I have no trouble or, or worry about it being so polluted or I'm smelling the water every now and then that might happen from a wastewater treatment plant. But, but for the most part, getting people in touch with 
uh, just being grateful for the water we have. Because without that gratitude, then a design professional putting together an erosion plan or a stormwater pollution prevention plan, it's just a job. You know, they're just slapping or cut and pasting. They're putting it on a plan. They're not really giving it thought to will it, will it really do its job? You know, I mean, and then going to the people in the field. I mean, they're, they've got a responsibility of, you know, implementing a, a project civil design that's going to make them money at the end of the day so that they can actually keep their job. They're not out there to be a stormwater treatment system operator, but yet it, it flies in direct conflict with them being profitable. So how can they actually think beyond the box to try to make this thing work in the field and still allow them with a heavy rain year, like we're getting here in Georgia, to go out, you know, and and protect the creeks and the streams as they're bringing in the money for their clients. So I, I'm always trying to get that out there. You know, I've trained an awful lot of uh, regulatory people, and I'm super grateful that, you know, people with that are in the business. I mean, as regulators, EPA, uh, a lot of Georgia Environmental Protection Division, but Indiana, I'm going to be there next week, training all week, the MS4 class we have. And uh, we have people flying in from all over the country. And um, they're, the, they're the folks that have to enforce this stuff, you know, and, and what does that really mean to enforce? So, you know, um, th- just to try to get people to care about their job and understanding that, man, what they're doing is so critically important for us and our sustainability as a country to have the kind of water quality that we have today. So that's that pretty much my foundation and my motivation for doing what I do. It keeps me up at night. Uh, I love what I do. I never dreamed I would be in this position to say that I love environmental consulting and training because there was a time when I was in it for the money and just trying to make a living, trying to pay for my kids and, you know, just right. just trying to survive, you know, and it was, certainly wasn't getting rich, that's for sure. In this business, we don't. But uh, but anyway, that's that's really the thing I'm, that drives me is what can we do that's going to make their jobs practical and yet where they get up and they're motivated to really try to implement the, the program that we have that keeps our water clean. So, you know, it's funny after, th- you know, you've got 30 years of experience and just in my ba- baby 11, I guess, 11 years now in the industry, I, I, I feel I feel the same way as far as like in the in people that I talk to in my personal life, there's still multitudes of folks. Basically, I hate to say this, almost everyone really that they don't even they don't even think about it. They don't get it. Right. When I tell them that stormwater, if the conversation comes up, that uh, that water is just not treated, it just goes to a body of water. They're like, what? You know, and it's just funny to me because I when I got in the in the industry, I, I am I'm far from an environmentalist. Right. I'm you know, I don't. But after 10 years, it's hard not to get it on you. Right. And so I care way more about water than I, I, I did 10 years ago. Um, then again, I'm also now 48, not 38. So that mm-hmm. might be part of it. So I, I definitely I definitely agree that it's an uphill battle. So so. In that aspect, and I know we're going to get in some t- some technical um, discussions a little bit here in a minute. When you're out there teaching and doing your training, like, what, do you try to infuse some of those? You know, like the I don't know if you use analogies or stories or just you take everybody fishing or what <laughs> when you do your training. But how do you infuse that into your classwork um, while these people are trying to get the certification? Do you, does your do your classes all have kind of a a back you know, a background tone of, of you need to, you need to care. <laughs> you need to actually well, care. It, it definitely does. And I, I think that's one reason we've just grown organically. I mean, I, you know, uh, just, you know, people catch on to your passion. I remember the first uh, course evaluation form I got right after I started this business. And they said, man, Luke's really passionate. And I thought, 
passion. I never really thought of my, I mean, I care about this stuff. But I mean, I've just seen hundreds of now course evaluation forms say, oh, Luke's passion is contagious and that kind of stuff. And it's, it is, and it's, it's not just because I'm passionate, but it's because I really do know what I'm talking about when I'm trying to train this stuff in a way that makes it practical, you know? So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, researching, uh, I've learned, you know, I'm 64 years old now. I can't believe it. And, um, uh, and you know, no, we're first- telling, we keep telling, we're telling on ourselves today. We're telling ourselves, you, you, you know what? Let me back up. There's something I, I wanted to apologize. I meant to say this earlier. Well, number one, you look good for 64. Everybody, go to the That's YouTube good. channel, check this guy's out. And number two, thank you for your service. I meant to mention that earlier. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. But uh, sorry, I'm a squirrel and I digress. Go ahead. What, what, what were you but, saying? Thank you for my service. I mean, the Marine Corps served me just as much as I served it. I mean, it helped me grow up. It gave me confidence in myself, you know, getting out as a sergeant. And, you know, I, I, it was it was awesome. A lot, it did, I did a lot of really cool things when I was in the Marine Corps. But I learned quickly when I got out of the Marine Corps that you can't manage people like you are a Marine. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, so slight, this is ever so slightly different. Yeah, there's a, people have a hard time with that. They don't take orders like <laughs> in the Marine Corps. But anyway. So, so yeah, I, I think what I infuse in people is like, for example, um, regulators, you know, the importance of enforcement and what does that really mean? Well, that I always share this story, you know, the Clean Water Act, um, I'll, I'll ask people and I'll even ask you, what year did the Clean Water Act come out? And oh, wow. You're going to do that to me? I don't, I don't know. What you, I don't, well, don't do that to me. Dude, I'm sure maybe not, you know, maybe no, not. I, I, I don't know the year. I don't, I honestly okay. don't, I don't, I'm right. the, but I'm the worst. I don't know the year of anything. Just, just to be clear, just to be clear, I am the, I am the worst. My, my wife, she's a civil engineer and a, and a PE, right? But it, I don't think any of that would matter. Like she knows dates like, I, like nobody's business, historical dates. I, I don't know anything like, uh, so what, so go ahead. What, what day, what, what day, what's the date of the uh, Clean Water Act? You're definitely sure. But anyway, so, um, the Clean Water Act, many people will give it, you know, 1970s, 75 or whatever. Well, you know, what most people do know is that it was in the 70s when our water just dramatically changed. We're talking about point sources getting regulated, being defined as point sources and things like that. But, you know, as I years and years ago, as I was looking into this and I'm training all these regulators, uh, you know, the Clean Water Act was actually passed initially in 1948. And uh, it was, you know, the Cuyahoga River had been lighting up since 1861. I mean, all those oh, years, wow. and there was no, oh. there's nothing being done about it. And right. politically speaking, it was difficult to get anything to take, you know, just like it is today, people that are polluting to try to get them accountable for their pollution. So 48 happened, and it was more of a national policy. The Federal Water Pollution Control Act came out, and... Uh, you know, it's not a good idea to be putting sewage and, and industrial waste in our water. So we need to stop doing that. And the EPA right. uh, was not even created as an agency. We had federal uh, we had federal attention given to air and water quality, but there were no real statutory standards, you know, that were being implemented. So uh, because of that, you know, the Cuyahoga River lit up, you know, I don't know how many more times since 48. It was like another six or seven times from chemicals being discharged to it, Standard Oil being one of them, and, and many of the manufacturers of things that helped us refine gasoline. Um, and sewage was going into the Cuyahoga River, and the Lake Erie was just thought of as a just a holding tank for this crap, you know? So people were were doing this. And then 72 hit, uh, actually in 19, um, 
is the first Earth Day came out when that Time Magazine article came out that really inflamed the public. Largest demonstration in U.S. history, you know, occurred in 69, and that was first Earth Day. And then, uh, and then of course, the EPA was created as an agency, and then the Clean Water Act came out in 72 and has been adjusted a few years since then. But the only reason the Clean Water Act was was amended was not because of big industry wanting regulation. It was the public were so upset about what was going on, nothing, that they put so much pressure on their politicians and Nixon at the time, because Johnson knew what was going on, but he, he gave that thing over to Nixon. And people don't know this, but Nixon, of course, people know him for Watergate, but, but he was, in his presidency, he passed more environmental laws than any other president in the United States. We're talking about massive environmental attention. But it didn't come from uh, his passion for wanting to protect the water. I mean, as a matter of fact, he really didn't even know how polluted the water was. His attention was on politics. And so when the people in their various states that were getting hammered by all this pollution were feeling that pressure that getting reelected, maybe not, then they put pressure on Nixon. And he actually, you know, he, he encouraged the Clean Water Act. Actually, you know, when it first came out, he vetoed it. And he vetoed it because the the uh, Congress and the Senate, these guys, they actually wanted to uh, put more money into the budget to get it started that he didn't agree to. And so he vetoed it. It wasn't like he was against it, but he vetoed it. And they overrode his veto. It was the first veto that he ever, I may be the only one he ever received in his presidency. But you could get me going on and on about this. But that's an important thing to understand that without enforcement, we don't have clean water. And that's what I'm afraid of today is that we're so lackadaisical now. You know, I mean, I love to fish. I've got a Skeeter bass boat and I'm out there trying to fish and catch stripers. And I'm not seeing any impact from water quality now. But lakes like Lake Okeechobee and a lot of the nutrient discharges coming in from non-point sources, uh, there are more and more illegal discharges coming from wastewater treatment plants and industries that are not getting hammered like they used to get for those violations. And so I'm seeing this growing problem and people are upset when it impacts their property or their quality of life. But overall, as the public, we're not seeing that. And that's what I'm concerned with, is that we're not going to get the attention until we actually have rivers that are lighting on fire again, like they're doing oh, in my gosh. Indonesia and all that stuff. So, you know, it's uh, well, it's one of those things. I, I know we got some other stuff we want to talk about. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to get you totally, you know, just just out there uh, on this, but it's it's ironic, if you will, of uh, what's going on with the, the Cuyahoga, you know, catching on fire, like you said, when it did and the kind of the kickoff of, of everything. And, and I know like, it seems like it, every stormwater one-on-one you hear about that, that story of those, that old black and white photo or whatnot. And then we come full circle. Cause I I mentioned, I talked to this with, uh, yeah. I mentioned this with Harry Stark on another episode. And like, so now we got the, the train derailment, you know, in, it, also in Ohio, um, before we switch off, you got any thoughts on on that situation since we're kind of in that, since we're talking about all the, you know, enforcement and government and, and we got, and it just kind of, it's like full circle. Like you said, it's like, it's coming back around, you know, deja vu. Well, you know, it's, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And the first thing, of course, it's a horrific uh, rail. I mean, they've had even one since then, from what I understand. So we, it was a, yes. a really bad way to manage it. Everybody's got, Everybody's a, you know, uh, armchair quarterback when it comes to stuff like this. But, but 
what people have to focus on is that, yeah, they've got their issues and they're going to have to address that up there in Ohio. And, you know, of course, that spill is going to go all the way and is already down in the Mississippi River. I don't know how diluted that is. I've not heard much about it since. So it's probably not causing a lot of problems. But, you know, where I live, sediments are number one problem. It's filling up our water resources like a mad dog. And I'm not seeing much of that on the news. It's happening one little bit at a time. And that's what happens with water quality and stormwater is that unless it impacts one particular property, and it can with one rain event, regionally, people aren't all that, you know, they're just not concerned about it until it's all like too late. You know, Lake Alatoona is a lake that provides water for about a million people nowadays. And in 1993, when it provided water for 300,000 people, it was half full of sediment back then. And according to the Army Corps, it's roughly 80% full of sediment now. It doesn't take much for the water level to drop every year for you to see the bottom of that lake or the sediment sitting on it. Why is that a big deal here? Why should we be concerned about that here in, in Georgia? In the Piedmont, where most of the population lives, we don't rely on river water. We rely on reservoirs or on groundwater, rather. We rely on reservoirs that hold river water back for us to be able to use. Uh, Lake Lanier, according to a paper written in 2008, is building up at a rate of 125 acre feet per year of sediment. That's 125 acres, one foot of sediment every year. And I would say in recent years, with the amount of growth that we have in this watershed, it's, it's even greater than that. Well, that lake provides water for about two and a half million people. And once it's full of sediment, what are we going to do? And, you know, Georgia's in the third. I'll shut up here about this in a second, but they're in the oh, process. Go ahead. You're, that's good. Uh, they're trying to get some water from uh, the Tennessee River. I don't know where those negotiations are at. Of course, you know, you may have heard the argument that initially the Georgia line did include the Tennessee River. Then when they actually drew the line, they pulled the, pulled the fast one. They put it down south of the river. So we never we don't have any access to that river water now. And that was a legal argument for years. But but we are going to do something. We will get it. But it's, you know, it's it's a tough situation given our rate of growth. And I mean, shoot, just the stories going on in the West, which is where most of my career has been uh, with Lake Mead and Lake Powell. It's, it's terrible. I mean, what's going on and, and it's the amount of people using that water, not just a drought It's the amount of people sucking water out of that watershed that is giving it the trouble that it's going to be seeing now from now on, I think. So we, we've got a challenge just with our, our water. I mean, it's got to rain here in Georgia for us to be able to have enough water in this lake and it's a tiny watershed. So anyway, I think and you, you mentioned in the in the notes, you know, you, the difference or you want to discuss the difference. And it sounds like we already know that, you know, spoiler alert. I think we already know Luke's answer to this question. But you had mentioned vinyl chloride and sediment and the relationship between the two and which one's worse than the other. Do you want to kind of jump into that topic as kind of sure. a good spot right now? Yeah. I mean, the toxicity of sediment overall is tolerable. You know, I mean, you know, outside of my kids playing in the mud and eating when they were kids and I think. At times, I thought it gave brain damage, you know, but <laughs> it, it wasn't the dirt, of course. But, you know, we don't think of dirt as a pollutant. Uh, it is identified in the Clean Water Act as a pollutant or we could regulate it with a sweat, you know, for example. Um, it is absolutely a pollutant. But in in this watershed in Georgia, much more so than Arizona, which I'm going to be back in Nevada here training later this year. You know, sediment there, uh, wind erosion is a primary problem. They're not concerned about sediment. The Colorado River has more mud in it naturally than Lake Alli or Lake uh, the Chattahoochee River ever dreamed of ever having, uh, even artificially. So the pollutants, in, in other words, kind of getting back to the point, 
the toxicity can be acute or it can be chronic, you know, and vinyl chloride is absolutely a carcinogen. It's terrible and it's, it's vicious in, in what it can do to the human body and the biota uh, in a watershed. But let's not focus on that. You know, let's not focus on all this big picture stuff that we're seeing with, you know, I'll just tell you global warming and, you know, all of the, you know, climate change, uh, whatever they want to call it. It's a distraction from people focusing on what they can do in their watersheds on their property and where their runoff goes. That's what we need to focus on. And if everybody focuses on that, then we're not going to have anything to worry about. You know, it's, it's, we have to not be distracted by all these large areas of things that we don't really have much of a impact on, but we need to focus on, you know, what am I doing when it rains and I've got a little, you know, like in my front yard, I put a garage in the front yard and I had a land disturbance of about probably a half acre. And I'm having to go into my pocket and put up silt fences and put in a couple of sediment traps because, first of all, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. In right, right, now. right. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> it's going to go right uh, straight down to Lake Lanier. And here yeah. I am preaching about this stuff, the importance of complying with permits. Even though I'm working on an unpermitted project, it's my project is coming out of my money. Uh, I'm going to do that because that's what I can do. You know, and so we just right. need to focus on what our personal responsibility, what can we do is going to make a difference in the water quality in our watersheds. I think that's a, a something I'd really love for people to start really thinking more of than the vinyl chloride spill, which is horrific. But what can they do unless they want to just go ahead and they're retired or they've got they're independently wealthy and they go up there and start helping? You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, but unfortunately, I think like you were saying a minute ago about the, the you know we're gonna it's the, the our water body is gonna light on fire before we pay attention. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that it's an unfortunate situation, but hopefully it brings a little bit more attention. If not uh, the the whole nation, at least you know the folks in Ohio are definitely paying attention. But uh, but I think that also goes back to you also mentioned people just don't. It's uh, out of sight, out of mind, right? I, I've said it probably before uh, on other on other episodes that you, you know, like we if uh, we flush a toilet, we don't think about it. We know we've got that figured out. You know, it rains unless our unless my toilet's backing up or the or the or my yard's flooded. I'm not thinking about water in, at all. But man, you you start having your toilet stops working, you're going to start thinking about it, right? And yeah. so uh, it's it's a weird uh, situation of how do we get the individual to uh, to care that has uh, when m- most people don't don't even realize where where their where their stormwater is going. The Go Marine Corps put me overseas for two years, and I was in Asia, and we're helping mm-hmm. orphanages out. We're, you know, people don't know this about Marine detachments, but well, we did a lot of social work when we were over there. And to see the living conditions of people over there, living, you know, swimming in rivers of sewage uh, that are yep. still that way today. And, you know, as a young Marine, you know, we're flipping pesos uh, in the Philippines to these kids that are swimming in this, you know, really terrible water quality situation. And so... As a young person, I didn't think about it, but you know, as I got older and I got into the water quality side of the environmental consulting business, I mean, those people overseas are, are having to deal with that stuff. And I think if the service did one thing for me, is it really helped me appreciate what I have here in America. Uh, I'm grateful for this country right. and, and what we've been able to do to give us the standard of life, the water quality that we just so flippantly take for granted, you know? So, yeah, that's a... Uh... 
Yeah, you take it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff. It's probably a whole different podcast because you know this infrastructure yeah. in general, like roads, bridge. I think we've kicked so many cans down the road, Luke, and now our you know our kids are gonna, our kids and our kids' kids. They're the ones that are gonna have to really yeah. sort some of this stuff out, unfortunately. But uh, hey, I don't want to be a complete yeah. Debbie Downer on this whole program. Pay yeah. attention. Don't put stuff down your drain, folks. You're in the industry. Hey, you know, let's go. Uh, let's move. Uh, let's move to something a little. I think more. That's going to be a little bit more technical for everybody. Um, but you, uh, you mentioned in the notes that you, you know, uh, maybe a, a take that's different from the norm. But looking at a, a construction site as an industrial stormwater treatment system, you want to explain what you meant by that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if, if, if the people listening to this podcast can keep in mind that the Clean Water Act, when it first came out, did not address stormwater. It addressed sewage and industrial waste that qualified. And we're talking not, again, stormwater, but process water. And so they put in place these requirements of water quality discharge standards. So, so they had, you know, fecal coliform being an indicator of E. coli and, you know, heavy metals and all the different very various things that could come out of a wastewater treatment plant. So, you know, it forced the public, essentially the public sector, to come up with uh, technology that could meet these very rigid parts per million discharge standards or parts per colony or whatever discharge standards. Um, industrial waste. You know, I worked in the pretreatment program as a consultant for years, worked in the oil field industry where uh, they did, um, um, you know, uh, wash bay type work, a lot of it. Um, and so all of that material, we're talking back then it was legal to use uh, heavy metals in their pipe uh, lubricants, you know, I call it pipe dope. But, uh, and so all that mud, all those chemicals, volatile organics and stuff would be released and go into a collection pit. They had to come up with a technology that would meet these very rigid discharge standards before they actually went to the wastewater treatment plant. And in some cases in Wyoming, uh, they didn't have a local wastewater treatment plant. They were very remote. So it went right straight down to the river, which had really rigid water quality standards that they had to meet. And water sampling requirements as a result of that to be able to prove that they were meeting that their technology was working. And if it didn't work, they had to upgrade their systems. And that, that system overall in our country is alive today. Well, then along comes stormwater. Um, we realized that stormwater was adding a lot of pollution. There was a study done between 79 and 83 called the National Urban Runoff Program. And it came up with absolute uh, proof through studying 2,300 storms in 28 cities across the nation that stormwater was adding a lot of pollution into our watersheds um, as well. And so after doing a phenomenal job, of getting our industrial and uh, wastewater treatment plants in order and in line, um, we started focusing on stormwater. And uh, and so stormwater coming from industrial facilities that had process water permits already uh, right. from uh, wastewater treatment plants. And then also then construction sites really got hit hard uh, in the very beginning. And uh, they phased the approach to implement these very rigid standards, these, this new approach to managing stormwater through phase one and phase two. And uh, here in Georgia, in phase two is where construction sites of five acres or greater really got the attention in the beginning. And then uh, for the first three years from 2000, 2003, and then uh, then one acre or greater. And that's pretty much a national standard now. So what does that mean? If we have to, if we have, uh, well, 
long story short, not every, it's very rare that you'll see a water quality standard established for uh, construction site sediment runoff. Georgia does happen to have that standard, a 25 NTU for warm water streams and, and 10 for trout. Um, you know, and there's another way of sampling that, but in other states do have water quality turbidity standards that they have to meet. Uh, well, that makes it very practical for people in Georgia to understand the relationship between industrial discharges and construction sites, because you are, you're really required to meet a water quality standard, turbidity standard on uh, those discharges. Uh, where people get confused about a stormwater treatment system on a construction site, um, not, not so much confused, but they don't make the connection between okay. it being an, like an industrial facility, which by in the very beginning, construction sites are identified as an industrial facility. Um, they don't put in, in their mind this relationship between a SWIP and a design for building an active treatment system inside of a, you know, a wash bay. But they need to because on construction sites, like, for example, here in Georgia, we have to focus on putting the technology in place, the passive treatment technology through erosion prevention and sediment control technology to be able to actually meet this discharge standard before it discharges from the detention pond, that collection pit, uh, to meet a water quality standard. And that other states don't have a water quality standard, so it's just an erosion and sediment control plan. You know, they don't, they're not concerned about the turbidity in the water unless they're impaired, unless they're discharging to an impaired stream. And, and you will have that, um, as a standard in some states, many states, you'll have that. So that's what I'm constantly trying to, to help people understand is that we have like an illegal discharge would be sediment that goes out of us over a silt fence or under a silt fence into a state water. It increased the turbidity illegally. It, it violated the water quality control act for that particular state. But where that water should have gone is through a detention pond that should have met a, a, a discharge standard. And it's very easy to discharge beyond that standard, but that's the goal is to meet that standard, just like an active treatment system would for an industrial facility. So I don't know if any of that is kind of all over the map there, but if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I think I think it does make sense, and I think people need to step back and kind of look at the big picture of what they're doing. Again, I think, you, like you said, you mentioned it before. Uh, there's, it feels like there's a little bit of check in the box sometimes. A little bit of the uh, the 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 firms are trying to trying to you know. They're trying to, they do what they always done. They don't, I think every, every site should be treated individually, but there's probably copy and pasting going on because of the arbitrage of, of trying to uh, be profitable and stay, yep. you know, employed or stay alive as a company. Yep. And, uh, every, every, every area, every state, every construction job is, 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 is probably a little slightly different, you know? Um, you know, I guess other than maybe a, you know, lot to lot. Okay. Maybe some of that's similar, but, yep. you know, definitely. Definitely, you have to to look at everything as a whole and uh, and try to connect the dots. Um, you know, as, as we're kind of wrapping up, I, I want to get some final thoughts from you. I have another question for you, uh, but uh, where can you know where can everyone find the passion at Luke Owen? As we have the uh, as you as you mentioned uh, earlier in, in from your your class uh, reviews or whatnot, where, where, what's the best way for people to contact connect with you? Uh, you know, are you talking about, are we closing now? So my, just going to my website. 
Uh, I've got YouTube. Yeah, they, yeah, they can go to – what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? I mean, I know you're on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll, we'll put everything in the show notes, but uh, sure. should they reach out to you? They, you know, do you do you monitor your LinkedIn? Should they reach out to you by DM, or is it better to shoot you an email? If so, which email address would you like to put out there? You know, what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody, someone has a question or something you said today? I post three times a week uh, on LinkedIn and just really more for the professional community to get in touch with, you know, maybe a new technology or something that they haven't thought of before for, you know, whatever right. uh, reason. There's right. a, there's, you know, that's one thing I just wanted to mention real quickly. I have learned so much over the years from people that are professionals in this industry. I mean, that are so much more well advanced in their understanding of the technologies and stuff out there. And I think today, you know, versus when I first got started, I mean, we're all just kind of out there trying to figure the whole thing out. We have some brilliant people in this industry that we all need to be learning from always. I mean, I'm a constant reader. I mean, uh, and LinkedIn is a great place to go to. You know, Jason Bailey, I watched that guy. You know, he's he's very good at what he does. There's just a lot of people know, that are I know Jason. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, people at NC State University, you know, that uh, Rich McLaughlin, who's just phenomenal at understanding uh, how polychromide works with knocking down turbidity, uh, anionic polychromide in particular. And I mean, I could go on and on and on from just the people that even sell technology, you know, these BMPs that we have, these best management practices. So right. first of all, I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be in the position I'm in, you know, uh, but there's a lot of people out there to, to learn from and to grow from. And I'm still learning and growing and I don't think I'll ever end. So. Right. Right. Well, really, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, that's the kind of the purpose of the pod, right, is to uh, to bring additional information to our folks out there that may not have a, a different way to get it or, you know, like not everybody can make it to a conference. I think conferences are great, but if we can provide some additional value to folks through this podcast, um, then uh, hopefully we can do that by talking to other, you know, talking to uh, other smart people and smart people just like yourself, Luke. You've got a plethora of knowledge. And, uh, and I think you're going to have to, I, I really feel like you're going to probably have to come back on at some point. We're going to have to dive deep into some more of these issues and some more of these topics. I don't, I don't think 30 minutes was enough, uh, for you. I mean, there's just too much, you got too much going, you got too much going on in your brain, sir, that, uh, that you need to, we need to extract some of that. Um, you know, I mean, not to try to get anything for free folks. He does have a, you know, the, the, the man's out there, uh, teaching, teaching and training on a daily basis, but uh, we're going to try to get him back on and try to get some more of, uh, more of that knowledge out there onto the pod. But, uh, some, some final thoughts. And, and I, and I feel like I really thought this was going to go in a different direction. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm pretty excited about how it went because, um, you know, I thought we were going to go super deep and some some uh, into some technical aspects, but I I really like the the uh, the more of the feeling of just getting the public to get off uh, of dead center and uh, and give a and care about what's going on with the water. So, final question for you, and and I let you give you some final thoughts. Is what give me like uh, I don't know what's give me three 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 points three ideas. It's a little bit off our. I'm not not to put you on a spot, but what can like myself as a homeowner or anyone as a homeowner. You know, let's bring it back to that personal, that one, per, that one person, right? Without something catastrophic happening, uh, that brings just this big national awareness. And then the government goes, oh, we can't ignore it anymore. But uh, in lieu of that, just as an individual, um, you know, and even, a, and even somebody in our industry that's listening to this pod, um, give me some bullet points of what, what can I do as a homeowner to be more, uh, 
you know, conscientious? Well, I think, first of all, who's going to get you conscientious is it's really up to the MS4s out there, these municipal separate school and sewer systems. And, yet, and the EPA did right. a really good job of understanding the first two of the six minimum control measures that are important to to implement are those things that educate the public and get them involved, you know, public education and outreach and getting uh, the public involved. Because without the public, we're not, we don't have, we have no hope. You know, they're going to be pouring oil down the storm drain. There's, you know, grass clippings in the, in the creek. I mean, it just, you know, blowing leaves down the storm drain, whatever it is, people will do that because they just don't know. And it's, it's got to go beyond putting a simple flyer in the mail that says pick up after your dog. It's got to, it's got to be a concerted effort to really get the public involved. So I'd say that's, that's a really big one, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned something about this podcast. I am so glad to do this. And, to, you know, I try to do things. I'm a, I'm a member now. I'm on the Erosion and Center Patrol uh, Committee on Lake Lanier. I want to be able to give more of my time to things that are really going to help people appreciate this country. I mean, I love America and what and and what it stands for. You know, what what, what goes through your mind? Yeah, it's got its issues for sure. But man, it, it's got it just to get that gratitude in people to come out because with that gratitude, you just can't. Do it, and then I guess in closing, you know, uh, watch things like uh, in national parks. You know, I mean these pod, these uh, these videos, these documentary videos are phenomenal. I mean, you learn things about like Stephen Mather, who is the National Park Service first director. This guy was a major capitalist, became a millionaire back then, and where people talk about capitalism being a bad thing. Well, that guy took his money and he started, he was the first director of the National Park Service. And because of him, we now have the Smoky Mountains. You know, we now have, and Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Okay. So for young people, I want young people to not just look at the free enterprise system and capitalism through um, really negative eyes. They kind of look at it. It It is the engine behind America's water quality. You know, think about how much it costs to put in a silt fence on a DOT project, four or five dollars a linear foot. Yeah, it's got its issues. And why should it cost that much? But who's paying for that? People that are making money and paying taxes, you know, and things like that. So a healthy economy equals a healthy environment. You can't have a healthy environment and have a weak economy and you can't have a weak economy and have a healthy environment. Just look back in our history. So I hope that people learn from our history, because like they say, you're doomed to repeat it unless you do. And I think it's, right. uh, it's, it's worth it. So it's one, it's one big machine. It's one big machine. It all goes hand in hand and, it, and, it, and then it boils down to each one of us contributing as individuals. I totally, uh, I, I get that. I agree with that a hundred percent. And Hey, I re- it's been good to see you again. It's been, a, it's been a minute, even it's, even if it's through this, uh, this virtual portal, it's been, it's been good to, to reconnect and catch up. Luke, I really appreciate your time and being willing to come on the pod. And, um, if anybody well, wants to get hold of, I really am. I appreciate it very much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can get hold of Luke uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, his email his, and phone number for the MPDS Training Institute will be connected uh, linked in the show notes. So if anybody has further questions for Luke or would like to take some of his phenomenal training, please, uh, please hit him up. And uh, again, thanks again for being on the pod. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Ty. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stormwater World Podcast. Do you have something you'd like to discuss? Do you have an opposing opinion regarding something you heard during this episode? Let's talk about it. Click on the link in the show notes to sign up for a future episode. 
I'd love to visit with you about what's happening and how you see things unfolding in your stormwater world.